There we go. We're, we're recording the show. All right. Fair warning to anybody who's listening. This will be the shittiest recording ever. Can this be the cold open? This is the cold open. It's the cold <laughs> open. This is our 10 minutes of trying to get the sound to work and failing. <laughs> just to make sure that we get no one else listening to this point. I don't know. I feel Absolutely. like... I, I feel like if you're going to pay attention to all the hard work we put in to do this show, you have to put up with... And there's no other bullshit. We don't do any other bullshit when we do the show. Uh, we do a little bit of other bullshit. <laughs> we have already discussed the lizards. We've already, we've already oh. discussed mongoloids, I believe. No, no, delete. That's not going in. No talking about race science. Can't okay, let people well. know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to not talk about my undergrad. <laughs> Is that what they teach you? I spent you? four years getting a diploma in race science at the Anthony Acumia University. That's the, the only thing they no, actually the, teach uh, at Oklahoma A&M. <laughs> Are you going to the uh, Ava Maria Law School now, actually, after that, to promote it within a, within a legal sphere? Oh. I miss the good old days of race science. That was like some pure funny ideology. That was so much cooler than like, your boss wants you to work hard. Instead, it was like, nah, these people don't work hard because they're genetically deficient. <laughs> They've got a lump in their skull that makes their brain pan smaller. So. At the very least, we should pay them less because of it. So <laughs> Maybe make some laws predicated around it. <clears throat> Seems that the uh, Irishman has an elongated laziness lobe. <laughs> A predisposition towards alcohol, you say. <laughs> the most persecuted group in America, the Irish, as we all know. Okay, one. That's entirely <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> I don't even have a joke for that. <laughs> <laughs> the joke oh, is God. thinking that the Irish were ever like, persecuted by anything less than... No one was any more racist to Irish than they are to every other race. That this group of people that were allowed to move here to replace the people we genocided somehow had it worse. It's like, no. Nah. Hey, some people were mean to them sometimes. No, that's that, that's that meme, like, how many levels of racism are you on? And it's like, eh, maybe black people deserve it. And then the, the next panel is, you are like, little baby, check this out. And then it's... The Irish people who were moving here to replace genocided Native Americans were actually the <laughs> ones who suffered racism. <laughs> uh, oh, we're not talking about anybody being... Oh, no, we are talking about somebody being racist this time. The Oklahoma editorial board is, is pretty racist. See, <laughs> one, of my favorite, one of my favorite memes that I've seen recently was... Um, uh, it was just a, a, two-part, a two-parter about a conservative flag holder dude who like had he had like a bandana he had like a shirt like everything or uh, a confederate flag rather um and he was like constantly tries to represent south heritage in one panel and then but compulsively has to remind people he's half irish in the, in the other panel. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty lit. hey irish people were totally accepted in the south it's not like there's a guy who was literally lynched for being catholic there that's not a thing <laughs> not entirely real i can't fuck if i could remember his name i'll link i'll link to the wikipedia page of that lynching in the reddit post 
Uh, well, I don't know if you knew this, but the Republicans aren't the racists because the Democrats founded the KKK. Yeah, and the Democrats have been insanely racist their entire history, okay? It, it was forced on LBJ. It was forced on the New Deal, okay? That's, that is a narrative that is canon. I, lo- I do love that, though, because, like, that argument is kind of true. It's like, yeah, Democrats were pretty racist because the whole reason the New Deal was racist is because the Southern Democrats were like, how can we make this racist, though? <laughs> well, yeah, but the shithead, like, Republican argument is like, look, the other party is racist sometimes, so obviously we can't be racist. <laughs> there can't be two racist parties well, <laughs> in the racist country. That's, that's, like, that's the most American politics thing, though, is that, like, oh, if they're <laughs> racist... We can't be because we're the opposite. I mean, that is all you have to do is make sure that the other side is the bad thing and that it's impossible for you to be the bad thing because we have a two-party system that have to be diametrically opposed to each other. It's like the only way 90% of, like, people who do politics regularly understand it is as, like, Teams. black and white. Yeah, it's just like, that's my team. <laughs> God, it's so stupid though that Dinesh your guys, D'Souza, your team. like Dinesh D'Souza, makes a shit ton of money doing this <laughs> shit, and we get paid fucking nothing. We'll just call up the Mercers and be like, "Hey, the forces of capitalism have kept us too poor to continue our left wing podcast." Thank you for taking so it in. If we just went out and like started decrying socialism as like. We like we we learned the truth. We're enlightened now, and then they would give us so much cash to be like, "Look at these these young men learned the true value of capitalism." <laughs> they put in the hard work of running a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, e- easily the the like the foreign policy institute. You know, what I mean, all the other Republican think tanks will <laughs> yeah, just completely so hop on board. They're like, oh. Look at this. Look at the, the Heritage Foundation. They're like, look at this outlet that we have to young people now. And I mean, that's what every young right wing outlet is—just a grift to get money no, wait, from right. But wait, we could if we just when are like we selling out. Is that what we're talking about? When are we yeah, selling yeah. out? But uh, what if we just sent uh, like next, next time I need to pay rent. <laughs> what if we just sent like our most like Democrat hate thing to one of these people, and then they're like, they don't like Democrats. Oh, they're Republican. Like it could work, and we might not yeah, have to 100%. change anything. Because can, nobody, can, are we trying to are we trying to Sacha Baron Cohen the Heritage Foundation? Why because not? I'm totally down. Yeah, let's do it. Let's try and scam uh, Turning Point USA. We make better memes than them anyway. Oh my god, that fucking deep throating the boot one was pretty fucking <laughs> solid. Though. I thought that one where Candace Owens was like, "I am a racist, even though I'm my own race," was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> the, the largest I'm a sovereign uh, race. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> The, the most disparaged against group in society is not people of color. It's cops. <laughs> <laughs> the ethnic minority cops, all of whom are Irish. <laughs> That's like a double persecuted group. They're clearly the people worst off in our society. <laughs> now, cops have it so bad, when they murder someone, they get paid to not do work for a month. God. <laughs> When I murder someone, they extradite me to the U.S. <laughs> okay, that's that, that'll be the end of the cold open. We'll go into it now. All right. Also, uh, the CEO of the Heritage Foundation's name is Jim Dement. Jim Dement. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know what we want to do with that.
D E M I N T. What the fuck kind of last name is Dement? Dement like, is such a Republican D, last name. M. It's okay. such Dement. like there's a Republican named Saxby Chambliss. That's not yeah, a nice name. Names. That's not a what name. What's that fucker's name from that that one fucker that we did for Missouri? Oh, oh God. Uh, I mean, like even the big name, like Strom Thurmond, is not a real name. Okay, we have an yeah, attorney general Thurman named Mike Hunter, who I'm going to say his name <laughs> multiple times throughout the story. So. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born now we're down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born I'm Carl Roberts, and this week we have Stephen Lastman and Parker Nelson on the show. Adam is... I don't know. What, what is Adam doing this week? I don't know. Fuck you, Adam. Um... And he's this? pissing off the side of the dam that he lives next to. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> being like, like, a, like he's on top of the world. He's being a hill person this weekend. Um, but this, uh, as, as a collective, is Red Star over Oklahoma. We're a small political news podcast broadcasting a bunch of bullshit with a little bit of news about left Oklahoma. Um, this week, we're going to talk about how the far left is, as a political program, is more popular than normal Republican positions. Um, Shocking. Um, wow wow just groundbreaking that people's material conditions inform their politics um we're gonna holy shit we're gonna talk about how america is just bad at urban design uh for national news and then for oklahoma news we're gonna have a big uh a big kind of double story about how it's kind of electoralism is kind of important um because on the one hand uh state question 780 and 781 has been doing a really good job of keeping people out of prison and also saving the state money, and then on the other hand, because uh, medical marijuana got forced to be a lot better than it was before. And then we'll end the episode with uh, some pretty intense dog whistling from the Oklahoman. So, uh, y'all ready to talk politics? Let's do it. Yeah, so the first week, the, the first thing we have this week is some interesting polling out from Data for Progress that uh, they, they basically said... You know, there's a shit ton of political positions that people just don't poll about, right? Because in general, people poll about things that politicians talk about. And they're like, you know, okay, it looks like the radical left is suddenly having its moment in the sun in the U.S. Not even really the radical left, like the social democrat slash socialist left is, is having its moment. Left. Yeah, the, the left, something that is not right center, is having a moment. So they decided to poll it. Um... And it was it, 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 there were some pretty pretty interesting things. I think the first most important thing I want to talk about, uh, because Oklahoma is a lot more rural than America as a whole, is that uh, it turns out um, rural people are really into left wing stuff a lot of the time. Um, it's funny that the people who are working class are into the politics that benefit the working class. Yeah, it's oh my god, it's it's, it's groundbreaking. Um, some of this stuff, like for example. Uh, public internet 
or ending cash bail or getting generic drugs actually makes like a ton of sense, you know, and is more popular with rural people um, <clears throat> than suburban people because surprise, surprise, most rural people are dirt poor. There's a reason that phrase exists. Um, well, I mean, I think that something like public internet is such an easy case to make from the left because that's just such an easy thing to point to in everyone's lives that sucks is their internet provider. Like, one of the least liked things in America is whatever your shitty ISP is, Comcast or AT&T. Well, and just saying, hey, if this was public, you wouldn't have to deal with it being shitty and wouldn't have to deal with a shitty company trying to gouge you for money. It's also one of those things that's, like, so intensely bad for rural people because there's no market reason to invest in it. So you just get the shittiest of the fucking shitty companies running it and they're just like oh you want two megabytes a month and that's all you get you hey shit hey i think you're overstepping your bounds here because you're about to deny comcast their nipple flaps as brought to us by <laughs> south park just <laughs> uh, yeah well, and it's just, you know what, what are you doing to small business when you're hurting the ma and pa internet providers of small town america <laughs> <laughs> the Ma and Pa oh, internet no. providers of Comcast. Go to the and... other. Go to the other internet provider. Um, as a visual aid for our listeners, Parker is rubbing his nipples. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I. I oh, mm-hmm. We need to do like a video episode once, so that every finally all listeners will go away forever. It'll be like, no, <laughs> no, you all are scum. Um, <laughs> some of the other important things I think here uh, to note about this polling. Um, Super, like, left-wing stuff is popular ev- everywhere, basically for everybody. Um, it doesn't Especially matter. because of, like, communist memes and shit like that. That's 100%. <laughs> I, I'm expecting a sociological, like, paper, like, an, an authoritative paper to come out on how memes affect the general election and affect the spread of ideology. So. <laughs> Cointelpro for leftist memes. Carl, weren't you on that, supposedly, or no? Yeah, I was. Supposed to be on the meme research team, I think that's what they called it. It's kind of a meme name, but you're submitting it to some legitimate journals. Yeah, yeah. Meme K-Ultra. <laughs> meme Communism Ultra is actually what it what it's called. Uh, um, not a Republican politician MCU. name, McUltra. <laughs> <laughs> um, but some of this stuff, like... Like some of this stuff, and I think it's really important they did this because you, you, you look at some of these numbers, like for example, net support for a job guarantee among all groups of people is above 20, is 27 points plus or higher, right? Think about that for a second. Think about how popular that is. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's all of these issues that just don't even get discussed now, but then as soon as you bring them up, people are almost like shaken out of a trance. They're like, oh. Yeah, I guess we could do that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. They're immediately like, this makes sense. Um, <laughs> like, uh, Just like, yeah, things people have never considered because we're so fucking far right here. Well, and, and like one of the one of the things one of the things that really um, <laughs> that makes that really puts it in a in a comparison is that like a ninety percent tax on income over a million dollars. I think it was. Um, <clears throat> Uh, let me let me confirm that number, but it 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 has support it, minus five net support in total. Like, think about that for a second. What politician is saying that? I have not heard that from any of the hyper like like the hyper left for American politics people. Like, AOC has not said that. Uh, the 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 Michiganer government uh, governor candidate has not said said that. You know, Bernie Sanders has not said that, and that's 
it's minus five net support. And then when you compare that to positions of mainstream Republicans, like, oh, we should just cut super high taxes. It's like, this has minus five net support, right? <laughs> How much support does cutting taxes for the rich have whenever we're that, whenever it's like a, a competitive thing? for saying that you you have you cannot earn more than a million dollars like think about well, that yeah i think that we're finally at a point after the recession and after the huge discussion like the 99 percent, people actually started to realize that there's a huge problem with income disparity in this country that people are like oh yeah maybe these people shouldn't have all the money and See, that's like the public opinion around that's moving faster than the politicians are so we've got a good of a bit of the population that yeah. has since Sanders <laughs> moved left of him. See, I, I don't know about that because I make some pretty shitty meme posts <laughs> on Facebook and I get plenty and, and it's 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 baby, I I'll admit. But uh, it gets plenty it ropes in plenty of my, you know, uh just blindly following conservative friends that will hop on board and be like, hey bro, you go make your billions. Don't hate him for making his billions. And I'm like, that is such sound analysis fuck i'm done well but i think that's the thing is i think that these people that are right wing online like all they do is post that's it i don't think they have like they get you can get paid by the fucking Koch brothers to do that. We literally just talked about how you could get paid by the Koch brothers to do Carl, that. As a Carl, he told me to just stop hating and make my billions. Okay, I'm done. That's nice it, track. guys. I can't even be on the podcast anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Parker, make, go make your fortune. Go wear a diaper on OU's campus. <laughs> I'm just going to go back yeah. to my cave in Argentina that I was hiding out in. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm done, y'all. I can't do this. Oh. Uh. I just I I think this I I think this is also like really important to talk about because when you look at this stuff I mean like public opinion shifts really intensely based on people talking about things you know I don't think anybody gave a shit about a wall until Trump started talking about it because it like wasn't a public policy idea but the fact that these super left wing positions like even reparations polls surprisingly well like think about that for a bit the <laughs> reparations polls kind of well it just, yeah, I, I mean, think what polls pretty well is also like three syllable chants like build that wall lock her up yeah but uh, that's the thing uh, is communism that... now it's so four is that, is that what... you lost we have to <laughs> fucking <laughs> damn it but i mean what that means should be really straightforward because it's like there's no reason to not be unabashedly left wing because people will probably there are enough people that will probably like it i don't know well that's why that's why healthcare is done well, so well because it's incredibly easy to say Medicare for all. That doesn't yeah, require a demo like the centrist Democrat explanation <laughs> of well, we're going to uh, do testing to make sure that each person needs the amount of financial uh, support that they're given, and we'll like compare that with your income. And people are like, oh no, this sucks. I don't want that. But you say Medicare for all. People respond to that because it's simple and will make their lives better. It is not I mean, some I think team that's, process to get healthcare. We're, we're also competing with the other side, in which case they just get on to a president. Like, like when the president gets on and speaks and says Obamacare has been wrecking the lives of, of hardworking Americans for the past 17 years. And <laughs> I don't know if we can compete with that. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the thing is that they can lie all that's they want. literally but... just math. That he can't even basically do. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing is that, like, I think I think part of the problem with this is that the, these people lie, and then people give a shit that the right is lying, and instead it shouldn't be who gives it should be 
of course they're fucking lying. They're right wing people. They say that like jobs get created by the rich getting money and like our fucking economy is in the dump right now because rich people got tax cuts and are just buying up stocks well, instead I mean, of actually delivering stuff. And so you just say, here's a vision for America that's not shit. That's how you we've compete seen, with it. We've seen instances in which the right wing will outright lie about stuff. I mean, you know, if we did have Medicare for all, then it wouldn't matter what the right wing says because it'd be like, oh, Medicare for all is bad for working class people. Working class people who have it would be like, well, I have it and it's great, so you're full of shit. Right now, we just don't have anything for people to point to. Like, I mean, that's the Democrat problem is they don't have anything to point to and be like, this makes your life immediately better. Well, it doesn't matter what the right-wing propaganda is because Obamacare does suck. Trump can go up there and be like, Obamacare sucks. And a lot of people are like, well, yeah, it kind of does. But that, I mean, that's the thing because if, if you look at the polling when they were trying to end Obamacare, even though it sucks so much dick, people were basically yeah, like, people you want to fuck with it, that? Yeah, people still still something. Yeah. Yeah. Because they knew that the other option Option was just like, well, you die on the road, and then there's a corpse there, and that's how this is gonna be. And 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 then, but more importantly, if you look at something like social security, it's just not a political issue you can really talk about. You yeah, know, no, you will never and, be able to like take away social security mm. because people have had it for so long, and the you know because there are very clear material benefits, the right wing can't just outright lie and say this is bad for people who have it because and, it's obviously not. And this is an important part of why they oppose new stuff so intensely. I mean, I think it was Ted Cruz that was like, once Obamacare gets passed, there's nothing we could do about it because you can't take it yeah, away from yeah. people because there will be political suicide. And it's true. To people like some public good, it's incredibly hard to take away, not for lack of the right wing trying. But yeah, people, once they recognize that it affects their lives in a positive way, it's really hard to take oh. that away. Oh, the, they'll take it away. I mean, they, they will. Yeah, they'll try and take it away at it. It's I feel just like hard. We need to put it towards defense. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're working hard to. You know, <laughs> like our our many child death rate has fallen dangerously low. We need <laughs> to we need to get those numbers up. And if that means our our child death rate in America goes up, that's okay. We, we can live with that. Pump up those rookie numbers. We got to be number one in every category. What do you mean <laughs> that we're trying to be the lowest? No, we're number one. Gotta, uh, okay, but I want to run a theory by you guys. I want to run a theory by you guys about why nobody talks about this and see what you all think about it, okay? So, I have this theory, I mean, we both, I think, I think we all hear this all the time, right? And there's even an Oklahoma news podcast, which I won't name, that, that regularly says this. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's the theory that if you... We have a competitor? No, we don't have a competitor. They like actually like know like people in state government and like or, um, but but they they always say this thing and and a lot of people say it and it's if you don't vote you don't have a voice you don't get to complain about politics right, but then on the other hand you have you have two people to choose from right you have the Republicans and the Democrats to choose from and then if you don't vote because they don't represent your interests, but if you know, then it's like, oh, well, you didn't vote, so you don't get your interests represented. But then if you do vote for them, then that's your interest, and that's what you, what you chose to represent you. So I think, I think part of the problem here is that, like, U.S. politics has been structured so that there's always an excuse for why these left-wing positions aren't getting taken up. Because you can't choose, you know? If, you, if I wanted to vote for a socialist in Oklahoma, who can I vote for? Oh, that's right, fucking... Okay, I voted for Connie Johnson, sure, but she's not even an out-socialist. She, she didn't say that. And so then, yeah, like, it, it becomes a contest of like, mm-hmm. all right, who's the most left wing person that I can vote for? And even then, it's usually not someone. If you're any amount of like 
to the actual left, it's usually not someone who really represents your interests in a way that you'd be satisfied with. You're just picking the lesser of two evils. I mean, yeah, if you want to, like, uh, I mean, if you want to divulge into why the U.S., you know, political system is structured the way that it is, it definitely is because we're a first-past-the-post system. Yeah. You know, we're a 50, 51% wins, in which case it necessitates um, never splitting the vote and always trying to, the group on the bottom is always trying to coalesce with the, like, the, the third, like, the, the smaller group and to be like, hey, we need to team up so that we can beat these other guys. And that just, like we've already talked about, generates the uh, sorts of uh, sports-like mentality of yeah, you can even split teams. your parties yeah, yeah. on the smallest uh, the smallest thing, like social issues, for instance, which is what like our bullshit here in the United States is, is, is centered around. Like it's, it, they're, they're both clearly still um, uh, like neoliberal capitalists, but in terms of whether we support or hate the gays, where yes, we, yes. you know, almost do those types of things, issues. almost entire social issues that separate them and n- n- never economics. So, I mean, uh, until like the, like, and I think that especially the people on the higher end of the class system that have a little bit more control over the media and whatnot that have the ability to, um, like, like sort of tailor and, and push forward these discussions, try to keep us tailored around those social issues. And they... I mean, it's it's also been ad- adequately reflected in voting rights, whereas you can grant voting rights like in terms of like socially, but if you don't have the same economic rights to back them up, you know what I mean? Well, like, I, I, it's think, not I think it's true, not even people at freedom like they try to make make it seem like I, I don't even think it's people at the top of this. I think it's most people involved with politics who are like, well, you have to vote, you know, and it's like there's yeah, not this recognition I mean, centering the narrative around those things and like ignoring any type of conversation that is they're like, oh, well, a third party was brought up someday. It's like literally, no, we are structurally unable to support a third party. Yeah, and because they always say that shit. They don't like, have any, any way of populist representation. Like, there will never be a third party like libertarians. Sorry, sorry, but not so, you know. Okay, but the problem with the libertarians isn't that they're a third party. It's I, that they're actual yeah, shit. Their ideas are literally like a, like not worth the money they're printed on when I buy the toilet paper. Like, it's not... Right. That's their problem. That's a specific I problem they have. Their toilet paper's but, actually... I mean, I know that we all <laughs> experienced this during the election, and there's just, like, this, like, moralist argument that the right wing in America... Like, the Republicans in America are so bad that you have to vote the Democrats because they're, whatever, not actively, you know, banning LGBT people from businesses and restaurants and stuff. And so it's like, all right... I mean, it really does leave you with, like, I have to vote for these guys simply because they are not directly enacting pure evil, which doesn't really mean you have a choice. It's which, yeah. and if, that's if also anything that's not because it frames the Democrats in a positive light when, like, there's, there's yeah, so many hideous things that happened out of the Obama administration that I, I even just reshared a meme actually that was had Hillary Obama in a drone with a happy face above them. I'm sure you remember that meme, Carl, where yes. Obama was looking at Hillary and was like, "You're with her now." When he's talking to the drones. Well, yeah. Your if you if, if your feminism is an imperialist, who is it even for? The, you know, hire more LGBT drone pilots. Take right. where it's like, all right. That's still not good no, and it's, not a choice that I want to have to, like, it's, support. I don't want to have to support this untold terror going on in the other part of the globe just because it it's is, not It's like, not the other part of the globe. It's, the other it's higher, more Latin ex-Gestapo ICE members. That's what it actually is. <laughs> well, and, uh, 
Mm. And any way to like the, the problem is is that nobody is like hell bent on improving the way in which the country runs, right? It's like you can't suggest anything outside of the norm when it comes to like legislative topics, as opposed to like it, I, I guarantee that any any way to try to reframe or restructure the constitution is going to be met with this anti-American nationalistic that's, sentiment. That's like the that biggest. Is like hey, I like how the fuck dare you don't think that we have the best system possible I already mean, set up? That's you the thing. Right, That's like the perfect example because you have this this terrible candidate Hillary Clinton lose the presidency and you have all these fucking stands on on the internet for her and you have her as well saying oh my god but I won the popular vote or I won the important parts of America and it's like no you didn't win the presidency that's the whole point of the election not yeah. once have I seen any of these fucking people say what if we just don't have the electoral college no one says that and that's right. the whole point because it's kind of left wing stuff or saying lesser of two evilism is bad or saying. Look at all these policy positions that are radically more popular than American, than like mainstream Republican policy positions that literally no one talks about. We have all this ideological shit to keep us from talking about it structurally. And then it's like, well, yeah, well oh. like the big thing is that, of course, the Democrats aren't going mm. to be any strong opposition because they don't want any change in the current structure of how things work. They operate within it and are like the. Yeah, they do. Complete perfectly well like, enough at the they, national level. I benefit from the system and use it perfectly. Well, they, they can't even do change. that bad at the national level. That's the thing. Is yeah, that exactly. It's baked in well, that they're going to be important, and so they don't literally have to change anything. They could just be shit, and they'll always get a ton of reps. It's yeah. yeah. I, another problem, right, is that the right wing folks have like constantly take like they they're very much so in control of the narrative and what it is that we talk about because Democrats are always hell bent. Uh, like, like it seems because Democrats like are right core, wing, number one. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It seems like this core tenet of whatever the fuck they have to interact with politically, right, is that we always have to have this bipartisan approach of bullshit. Yeah. In which case, they then have to engage the right wing on their horseshit, and then they're like, the, the right wing is like, oh, well, we're Fox News slash conservative. Yeah, we don't want to engage. And at we all. can just, we don't care. We're just going to start publishing this outlandish, straight up like oh, oh, bullshit that doesn't have to be in accordance with anything we picked up the literal incarnation of that with donald trump and now like the 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 like the, the like the, the quote-unquote left or the fake news or whatever the fuck like like uh, the, the fake news media or whatever constantly are being pulled even further to the right to engage with this sort of bullshit narrative well and that we can never even get well, anywhere the, close to these types of like legitimate the conversations on the, on the like on on the actual like mainstream national news level, it just doesn't happen. The whole Democrat like policy and position is based on you know a big tent. We want as many people as we can. Which is why their justification for always moving to the right, they're like we could take more right wing voters because they are getting disheartened with Trump, which no, they aren't. They're just getting more angry and hog like and rooting for him and flanking for him. But they're just like they they want to not have any they just want to get every republican on their side not make any sort of meaningful political change which is why they keep shifting as our overton window shifts right and <laughs> to, to like close out this story i think the most interesting thing since we got to talking about like the right-wing media is that this this shit is super popular right left-wing policies are insanely popular and when you when you have actual left-wing people like making the a left-wing narrative you know like cynthia nixon tweeted out where she was like they've been calling they're gonna call democrats socialists anyways why don't we just be socialists <laughs> and what we see on right-wing news is that they can't handle it because all they do is they say oh my fucking god they're socialists look they want you to have health care so it yes. works well i mean it like yeah, works. the aoc they're like look at all these socialist policies and it's like oh those are actually really good and also you calling them socialist isn't 
really that bad because you called Obama a socialist. Yeah, you called. You've, you've cried wolf too many times. You called the the don't think of it as deporter a bad word in chief a socialist. I mean, they all still think of it as a bad word. Have of course, but yeah, but that's the thing is that they're not the people who are. Like, they're never going to go for it anyway. But all of these people who are Democrats or don't vote Democrat because they don't like them see these policies and they're like, oh, that's what socialism is? Cool. I'm right. Whether or not it's strategic to then like force the right to rally around the fact of no socialism, no communism, you know what I mean? But that's, I, I don't mean, know if that's necessarily as effective of a strategy, but I mean, we, the, we don't have anything else that's working, so I don't really know well, what like else the, we, I mean, I, I get the whole fuck it mentality, let's just do it and see if it works. So, but I mean, the, I, I the, the, the whole I injunction, like the whole like centrist Democrat thing of seeing the injunction uh, of, of being accused of being socialist and then having to say no or not already loses because when you're accused of it you've lost right unless yeah. you say yeah unless you say yeah and that that's the thing too with donald trump that so many things couldn't stick with him is that they were like oh donald trump you're a liar and a racist and he was like i don't give a shit he's like i'm not yeah, gonna talk about you that don't Fuck take, off. when you don't take socialism at, so as a bad word to start with then it doesn't it negates matter the whether criticism. or not you refute yeah, yeah. the claim that you're a socialist then you actually have to start confronting what socialism means when you admit to being a socialist yeah. or at least having social policies instead of the situation where you say no we're not a socialist and then they say oh but they really are and then and then yeah. all of a sudden you can't define what you are yourself because yeah, they, say, they believe you're a socialist and then you're like yeah i am and they're like oh well yeah. what's that what's that mean <laughs> Um, but let, let's so, go on. So, so you're, what you're saying is we need to find the socialist Fonz, yeah, and yes. just have him run so everybody thinks that he's cool. Yeah, that's yes. what we have to and do. him just never deny being a socialist. I agree. With you. <laughs> that's enough. Let's go. Uh, yeah. So, so lastly, I want to I want to hear some things about vacancy in urban design in the U.S. right now. Yeah. So uh, a lot of what we hear about the housing crisis in the United States is about how you know rental prices keep going up, and you know the uh, you know San Francisco is of course the hallmark of incredibly high runaway uh, exorbitant rental prices, similar to New York, Boston, D.C. Almost every major metropolitan area is having skyrocketing rents. Uh, with, you know, single bedroom apartments in New York or San Francisco costing as much as, you know, four or five thousand dollars a month, absurdly expensive. Um, and this has been kind of like what the housing crisis in America has been framed as and what a lot of people think of is just those runaway rents in big urban areas as more and more people flock to the cities. But outside of America's urban cores, the opposite problem is having is happening where the vacancy rates are growing at alarming rates in uh, a lot of Rust Belt cities, a lot of small town countries, uh, really just anywhere that aren't the like prosperous financial engines of America's urban cores. So between uh, after the 2008 housing crisis, the number of unoccupied homes in the country jumped by 26% from 9.5 to 12 million uh, empty units between 2005 and 2010. That number has fallen a bit to being around 11 million empty units now, but it's pretty much been holding steady at around 11 million and shows signs of rising. It's gone up the last two years. Uh, I mean... By comparison, that's roughly, I think, five times more people than the homeless population of the United States, um, which obviously makes it very clear at present case that we don't allocate our resources properly in this country. Uh, but mum markets, Lassie. How do... <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, no one makes money off of uh, someone 
letting someone stay in an empty house for free. <laughs> um, the study tracks legacy cities, which is the uh, fancy urbanist word for Rust Belt cities that does not disparage them. <laughs> uh, with the highest vacancy rates in cities like Detroit, Cleveland, Flint, Gary, um, Meanwhile, the lowest rates are in the newly growing Sunbelt cities, Atlanta, Dallas, uh, Phoenix, Los Angeles, and then, of course, the magnet cities being, like, the financial and, like, city industry capitals of America, which are Boston, D.C., New York, San Francisco, like, the most urbanized parts of the country, uh, being kind of the middle ground. But these these Rust Belt cities are where the vacancy is the worst. Uh, at about 20% in some areas, a healthy vacancy rate in the city is around 7%. Uh, so there, I mean, there's clearly like this kind of, it really is an indicator of how big the income gap and it's part of this like disparity that's growing in America where not only do you have incomes rising at the very top and completely falling at the bottom, you have rental rates skyrocketing at like the dense urban cores of America city and then completely collapsing in kind of the rural or uh, disused industrial parts of the country. Which is a thing that all, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because like a post-industrial society that functions on services and capital that is investing abroad, you know, where are the jobs going to be? Where that, where that, where those people work that do all the investment and so on, or like do the the very high end stuff? It's not going to be somewhere else. So then, what are you going to fucking do? You know? Definitely. And this is like a trend that really kind of highlights how American cities are going to work in the next century, which is that as more job opportunity, like the only job opportunities that will be around will be in dense urban cores. We really are, are reaching kind of the end of American, even though it doesn't look like that as more track housing is continuing to be built, we're reaching the end of like the American suburban area era. Um, I mean, we see it with like trends with most young people want to live in an urban core in a downtown area, uh, not just because it's got like attractions and reasons that you want to live there, but that's like where the only job opportunities are. And as this happens, rental rates will obviously keep increasing as they have been, but there's just this growing ring of vacancies, not only in like the small towns that these people left behind, but even like this suburban ring that's becoming... You can't afford down being living down there. You know what I mean? Like you have the smaller, like right, right like the, the job opportunities like you're talking about. But I mean, if you're pushing out a lot of urban, like a lot of the people who have actually lived there for a while, then I mean, you're yeah, just going to be left with a lot of empty places that have been refurbished, expecting you know people with money to be able to move into them. So well, a lot of a lot of the big problem here is that those suburbs are going to become where the people who used to live in the cities, because the cities were affordable, have to move because. Whereas, you know, in the 1950s, wealthy whites moved to the suburbs to escape the inner city people of color. Now it's going to work the opposite way, where wealthier whites have to move to the urban core where the jobs are. And people of color have to move out to the suburbs, which ends up being a far bigger problem. Because now not only are they like not in the urban core, they don't have access to cheap and effective public transit and have to deal with like serious declining land values and a lot less access to things like food, uh, utilities, public transit, well, uh, just everything becomes harder to access. Either you're stuck with the expense of car ownership 
or stuck without a car and have trouble getting anywhere outside of your suburb, which just kind of traps these people who used to have the access of the inner city, even if it wasn't like the nicest at the time, to just being in these isolated, distant suburbs. There's the bigger, there's the other problem too, and this is specifically Oklahoma City is kind of special because Oklahoma City's grabbed so much suburban land around itself. Um, But like, that's the whole story in Ferguson, except the the other missing link here is that cops become a lot more intense because that's the only way local government can fund themselves. So if all of a sudden, I don't know, like Owasso, I guess Owasso is growing, but like Owasso or Jinx suddenly start to empty out and people have to move in. Those are the nicest suburbs around Tulsa. Okay, you know, that's where the poor people go. Those cities can't fund themselves the way that Tulsa can because they don't have an urban core. They're just super mm-hmm. communities. Oh, what's the only way they can make money? Aggressive policing. Heavily policing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've got some numbers here about uh, Oklahoma, about towns in Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma kind of gets a lot of these trends. We're pretty late to the curve for a lot of urban trends. These trends usually start on the East Coast and then like the West Coast, San Francisco, Seattle corridor. Uh, it's slowly making their way into the middle of the country. So we are kind of like tail end of this, still seeing prosperous suburbs, just starting to see downtown revitalizations in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Um, and I think that that's just going to continue to grow as time goes on. But uh, Oklahoma City currently has an 8.5% vacancy rating, uh, vacancy level and Tulsa has a 7.25 so slightly above kind of what the national or the national healthy number would be however uh, Lawton Oklahoma is at 20.1% vacancy uh, showing that it is like these kind of mid-sized towns that get hit the hardest uh, similarly Muskogee is around 14.5% uh, and it really is just because the opportunity like the opportunities just dry up in these mid-sized areas that can't sustain healthy job markets and so people are forced to go live in tulsa and oklahoma city or at least as close as they can afford to live there uh leaving these kind of smaller communities out to dry not only that but i mean if we already have shitty public transit in the downtown you know what i mean system like shoveling them out the suburbs already means that like and I can I mean, only it, imagine. It, it Edmund really cops are already of... dicks, dude. They're already huge <laughs> cocksuckers, and so by yeah, yeah. I thought Oklahoma cops were upstanding people who were never racist. Oklahoma City cops. <laughs> yeah, I get the joke. It's a good one. <laughs> Norman but, and Edmund. Yeah, it, it really is just kind of like this, you know, getting it from both sides. Either you're fucked with the incredibly high rents in your urban area, or you're hit with like just plummeting property values and something like 20% vacancies in the smaller communities. I'm honestly, Uh, I'm like really afraid in a sense of this because like there's been some signs that there's probably going to be another housing crisis because our response in 2009 was just literally just like, what if we did the exact same thing with no difference? Uh, But even (laughs) if we have another one and we don't respond to and we respond to it properly, there's going to be this huge problem because all the suburban housing is going to drop in value massively. Like, yeah. there's no way around that. It's not going to stay valuable. I mean, um, without intervention, the future of America's cities will be a ring of decaying suburban slums surrounding an incredibly prosperous but almost entirely wealthy urban core. And I think that there's a lot of places that you're starting to see that already. 
Yeah, New York is kind of like that. And downtown, like lower Absolutely. Manhattan, it's just... Yeah, but I mean, most bigger cities are starting to exemplify that already. And I think it's going to become more... Com- I think those suburbs still have some wealth because there's still plenty of like opportunity there. But it won't be long before that just becomes a like completely undesirable area. And really, I mean, what really will happen is that the people in the... like crappy neighborhoods of urban centers are going to be forced out to the suburbs and just get pushed further and further out. Yeah, and then die in the wilderness. Um, um, but, I mean, yeah, this, this, all these numbers clearly show that we don't have the housing crisis that they always talk about having. And one of the problems with urbanism is that the, the general consensus right now is that the solution to fixing the America's housing problem is to build more and what build more in america means is build more luxury units and the idea is basically it still works in a trickle-down mentality where you build more luxury units people will move into those nicer units and then the units that they move out of will free up and then people will move into those and so the less nice you know it trickles up as more wealthy people move into more fancy glass towers which obviously doesn't work well yeah and it only even that assumes the the other problem is that Okay, that could work in the urban core. Uh, that could work rather. That worked previously, and that genuinely did work during the period of white flight, because all of a sudden they could, you know, poor people could move into the cities because the property was not valued highly, and so they could yeah. access all those services. But when this happens reverse, which is what's happening now, all the high quality housing is outside. All of a sudden, they have all the problems that we've described in terms of lacking basic services, and so it's like, oh. What that means right now is that people are going to be relegated to these communities in the suburbs where life is not supportable at all. Right? The, real, the real, the, the way to fix this has to be public housing. Like it has to be sub, massive subsidies for low income housing because it is not economically feasible to do new construction that is affordable at a market rate. Like, building apartments is an expensive process, and in most cities, you can only make money doing that if you're renting it out at luxury rates, showing that there really is no feasible way to house low-income people without actual public funding for this. Yeah, and so we just have to start, this is something we've said on the show before, and we're going to keep saying, we have to start building housing either by the government or through, like, cooperatives that is exclusively not based on profit. Housing just can't be, it can't be a profit thing anymore. There's no... It just or can't that, be done. Yeah, just eliminate rent. That's a that's a good thing to do. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's also like eliminating fantastic. profit. I think, in a sense. Um, but yeah, rent's uh, kind of a stupid idea. What? Not what a great musical. Yeah, it's a good musical, but it's a stupid <laughs> yeah. idea uh, economically. Yeah, and for true. you know housing people. Um. On on that note, let's go talk about uh, some some better ideas happening in Oklahoma. Parker, uh, do you want to tell us about State Question 420's new regulations? <laughs> Marijuana, where the weed, 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 weed. You can yeah, just say where I'm, the weed no. smoke comes sweeping down the plains. It's not a hard I joke. I was going to say that, but it doesn't. It just kind of hangs there, you How know. Weed did you smoke before? Smell a little dank. <laughs> You know, so it, it does. I don't think marijuana. I don't know if you've sat with stoners, Carl, but it doesn't do any sweeping down anywhere. No, so, I, I've anything. never once lived with stoners. Never. Yeah. Not for uh, many years. Shout out! Life. Shout out to uh, Mr. Nicholas Vandeport. <laughs> uh, I think it's. I think 
Well, I guess we can say it now, but I'm, I thought it was show canon that none of us have ever seen marijuana before. No, it's show canon that life. none of us have smoked weed. I thought that was show <laughs> right. canon. Indeed. Um, so, uh, what's happening in Oklahoma News? Um, so, we had... <laughs> what? No, just keep talking, Parker. Leave, leave that. <laughs> so, we we had back when state, state question... Are we just going to call it state question 420? Um, when it sure, was, why not? Um, when it was implemented... Uh, right, the very least voted on earlier in June um, and passed overwhelmingly um, is that there was a board, the uh, Oklahoma Health like Board, was supposed to be um, creating these regulations in order to uh, safely issue these licenses. But um, basically, they came up with a bunch of really uh, a bunch of bullshit rules um, in accordance with a lot of business interests and those types of things in order to try to regulate. Um, aspects of marijuana uh, or what could be sold, quote unquote, medically, like, um, you know, not, not selling bud, which might be like, like flour, which is actually like pretty important and sort of really restricting everything uh, at the intake down to exclusively edibles or uh, maybe some sort of like tinctures that you still take orally, right? They really want to put the crackdown on how you can ingest your weed, which is understandable. Uh, but um, so our, our, good, our good old attorney general, um, Mike Hunter, uh, who has the greatest name of any oh, attorney no. general. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, Everett, he basically sent them a letter and was like, hey, you got to cut the shit. You don't have the authority to do a lot of these things, um, which they took as, oh, OK, fuck, the attorney general said so. So we have to uh, there's, there's a little bit more than this, but we'll, we'll get into the, the meat and potatoes of it real quickly. So the new rules um, were uh, eliminated last. Uh, there was new, new rules that were passed and they eliminated uh, two last minute amendments, which banned, like we said, the sale of smokable marijuana and required dispensaries to hire pharmacists. Right, which you would have to have a pharmacist on, like, and a dispensary for everybody for being able to sell marijuana, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then have sort of like sanitation rooms, um, which would make things, or which would make places like greenhouses and whatnot, non-sufficient, um, as uh, regulation-wise, in order well, to and, sell. Marijuana. Importantly, uh, with the uh, the pharmacist thing, you can't be a pharmacist and work in a medical marijuana store because you lose your license because yeah, it's, it's federally illegal. Professional code. Yeah. So, so that was like, that was the shooty thing is it's like literally no pharmacist could do this. And like, of course, some pharmacists do do it and they'll get in trouble. But it was basically like, you know, you've spent a shit ton of fucking time and money to become a pharmacist. Oh, no, you, you're going to run the risk of losing all that. Right. Um, and this is a classic tactic that we see in a lot of, I mean, that's, oh, it's been a problem the same thing with the, uh, Yes. Yeah. I was yeah. just going to say, like, getting abortions, they just make it incredibly inaccessible and just say, ah. Say you have to be hospital regulation of so many feet wide. Oh, well, you know, that kind of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. They just regulate it and make it virtually impossible, but still technically legal and available. And right. get away with saying, well, we did everything you want. You've got what you want. So three days after the board voted on the regulations, um, there were a couple of lawsuits that were filed. Uh, the the, the Busset lawsuit's the one that everybody kind of references that talks about how the rules are arbitrary and capricious, that they shouldn't be enforced. And uh, Green the Vote is another one that was brought up um, that basically uh, says they violated the Oklahoma Open Meeting Act, which with secret discussions within this board. So that one was a little bit more tenuous. I didn't really like follow as closely. But what was the most fun that we had with this recently was um, Azell, the general counsel, resigned from the health department the same day and was charged with two felonies and a misdemeanor three days later. Uh, she allegedly created false evidence of a crime by sending herself emails that made it appear she was being stalked by a medical marijuana supporter and threatened <laughs> her to life that they better change these regulations, which I think is amazing. 
Well, she should if she's being stalked by a marijuana enthusiast, given the classic response, Dave's not here, man. <laughs> no, but still, said, um, how high are you, officer? <laughs> and then she Oh my god! But um, so another 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 uh, spicy spicy nugget we have um, is one day later, um, news website Nondoc published text messages between Azell and Chelsea Church, who is the executive director of the Oklahoma State Board of Pharmacy. <laughs> and the text Church appeared to offer Azell a better paying Church appeared to offer Azell a better paying job if Azell included the requirement that dispensaries hire pharmacists in the regulation of the Board of Health to vote on July 10th. It isn't clear if Church was serious with the offer, and Azell didn't include the pharmacist rule, though the board voted to add it. Um, and the Oklahoma City <laughs> District Attorney's Office confirmed on July 20th, one day after the test was published, that it was investigating Church, and the board fired her on July 25th. <laughs> so... I, She's pretty fucked. The the amount of graft that Oklahoma can pack into one like fucking very clearly done law is just I, I I'm amazed. You know I feel like we're a proper we're like a Balkan country. Okay, <laughs> it's true. Well, in the names that they these people have, it's like Dickens characters. <laughs> it's just Chelsea Church. We've got Steve Vangelist here. <laughs> we got Mike Hunter. <laughs> Uh, but okay, so switching switching gears a little bit, um, talking about where a lot of this fund, like there was a, a whole hell of a lot of funding that was raised in a very small amount of time to combat state question four twenty. Okay, and um, it's state question. It, it, it was a political action committee called state state question uh, four twenty is not medical, which um, they opposed. The opposed ballot measure received nearly one point three million in donations between May fifteenth and June thirtieth, um, according to groups filing for the Oklahoma's ethics commission. I remember Basically, seeing this. It was interesting. A lot of the people who gave large sums of money to this. Oh, I like your interesting in quotes. They spent more than 1.1 million on television, radio, and newspaper ads. I mean, leaving like leaving it about 121 thousand in the bank afterwards. But I mean, it's still a hell of a lot of money to spend. Um, the efforts were mostly by, can we guess, the oil and gas interests. I don't really know why they hate pot because we can't like like you know run homes on pot heat you know or things like that. it's not alternative energy that we're i mean i'm sure they've got some sort of very long-winded re I, they just need to be in control of everything in our state so yeah i i mean devin you know, devin newfield continental resource all donated a hundred thousand to the uh, to the uh pack the super pack while chesapeake Cimarex, I mean, Conoco Phillips, Gulfport Energy, all contributed between twenty five thousand and seventy five thousand to the effort. So I mean, it also extended like beyond contributing money. Whereas they were like the CEOs of a couple of the companies were literally sending out e company wide emails urging employees to vote against the measure. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, y'all really hate we. I don't know. I think I think I think there's actually a pretty good explanation that's like really banal but makes like a ton of sense. And it's not that they hate weed, it's that there was a very explicit worker protection in it that you can't, like, you can't, you can't uh, fire somebody yeah. if they have a medical Under. marijuana card and they're not smoking pot at the job. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean you we can't, can't fire? fire people for any reason anymore? No, they just saw the words you can't fire and they're like, this is, this is wrong. Any reason to fire someone. But yes, yeah, anything that gives any sort of worker protection, they are instantly like, whoa. Let's 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 shut that shit down real quick. Because if you look at the if you look at it too, like a lot of the funding also came from the Oklahoma City and Tulsa Chambers of Commerce. And why would yes. why did they oppose it? 
for exactly that reason. And and then the oil companies, oh, guess what? They're like the second oil, the oil industry is the second biggest industry in the state of Oklahoma after the after I don't government. Think we've, uh mention this much on the show but chambers of commerce are low-key some of like the most evil anti-worker voting blocks oh, yeah. that you can find in a city they are fascist pigs at the chamber yeah, of right. commerce and on that note um the, the biggest single donor um was a political arm of the greater oklahoma city chamber of commerce exactly. which donated upwards of two hundred thousand to um state question 788 is not medical um I mean, it's basically uh, yeah. like a union, but for small business tyrants. <laughs> right. Um, I do want to point out, though, um, on a positive note here, and we're still talking about Dickens characters. Okay. <laughs> um, the group that advocated for the passage of the most medical marijuana measure, vote yes on 788, received around $176,000, which is about a, a tenth to a little bit less, uh, 8% of what, uh, the, <laughs> what they spent on trying to not get it to pass. Um, but most of the donations came, the group came from individuals. Another uh, 1,000 of the bulk funding came from the Medical Marijuana Trade Group, um, a New Health Solutions Oklahoma, a nonprofit organization founded in January this year by Oklahoma City Attorney and, lo- and lobbyist Robert Bud Scott. <laughs> that's honestly the best thing in the whole story is that his uh, name is Bud Scott. It was, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, um, but shifting gears a third time, um, it also this, – this, this is – also going to transition a little bit to uh, hopefully spill over to the prison industrial complex which is very much still alive and well and invested in by most of oklahoma's uh, local politicians in in the state um did they do any uh funding for against the bill uh, not that i could find um but i'm assuming that a lot of the interests that are in the chamber of commerce and still on the floor uh don't like are uh, basically in the same camp of right we own quite a bit of stake in the oil industry. We also own quite a bit of stake in the private prison I, industry. I, think, so, I think also they knew that the cops would be the shock troops to keep this from happening. Because right now, in the state of Oklahoma, if you get caught with under an ounce of weed by a state cop and you tell the state cop, I have it for a medical reason, that's yeah, all that you have to do. Matter. That's all you have that's, to do. Yeah. You cannot go to jail. The most you can get is a $400 ticket. So yep. anytime you get caught with weed, just fucking say you need it for a medical condition and you get a misdemeanor and a ticket and that's it. So everyone needs to do that now if you're not already working working to get your medical card. Um, but uh, the but yeah, cops have come out and been like, this is bullshit. authority right there, which is definitely a good thing. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's very important that that's a thing. Um, and, and, and so... so- Diving into this a little bit, right, is that um, this this article that that we'll end up posting um, it says this with, with with state question seven eighty fewer prisoners um, and less spending, and I really don't like that. The only way in which we can convince people that the prison industrial complex is bad is through like the fact that we're going to be saving more money per prisoner, but let, let's dive into it first, right? Yeah. Is that it says Oklahoma saved more than 60 million over the past year by ending prison terms for simple drug possessions and other crimes, according to a new report that came out. Um, state question 780 reclassified some drugs and property crime as misdemeanors rather than felonies, as Carl just said. Um, that reduced the number of people headed to prison, which then lowered the cost of incarcerating these felons for multi-year sentences, right? So um, its companion on the ballot, state question 781, included a provision requiring the state to analyze the effects of new laws and issue a report each year, which I is think what we're seeing now. What I want to say, I have to say this since Adam isn't here to say it, laws are all made up. And the only reason something is a crime is because we decided it was and we can make it not a crime immediately. And that's what State Question 780 did. And that's a huge deal because something like 9,000 people aren't in fucking prison. 
Hmm. Right. The report shows that over the past year, more than 9,000 people convicted of crimes listed in State Question 780 would avoid being in custody of the Oklahoma Department of Corrections, which is huge. Yeah. Like, yeah. not only is that great for, you know, like, people of color, but people, you know what I mean? Like, anybody that was going to be picked up by the, by the shit that can be disproportionately people, affected by... I mean, yeah. disproportionately affected by, like, this type of bullshit that the prison industrial complex likes to really promote and dig in its its grip into you, that these these... 91,082 people, or uh, 9,182 people benefiting from the new law, like, it, it supposedly saved taxpayers $35.6 million in jail and housing costs and $25.5 million for state incarceration, but I would much rather focus on the fact that these people are not in jail, and it's, once again, a much bigger blow to the private prison industry who has still, like, earlier in the year, they asked for but didn't receive an extra $1 billion to build new prisons with 2,000 beds to house the rising number of inmates. And so, like, I mean, I think that the, the, the money saving is just icing on the cake. Like, not only do we not have this many people not in prison, but we also don't have to pay to imprison this right. many yeah. people for no reason. But I think it's also written from our favorite people over the Oklahoman, which the article was posted from, uh, that they the only way in which they can frame it in a positive light is not that, hey, we shouldn't view people as criminals or inherently bad with these types of, like, social vices that we've indoctrinated everybody against, and instead... The only way we can like convince people that this is a good idea is through um, the economic savings, yeah. right? That was kind of the point that I wanted to like like dehumanizing people doesn't really matter when it comes to filling people in beds as numbers in the private prison industry, but you know, I, I the, the technocratic money saving should be the cherry on top of a delicious Sunday of freedom. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I just. Uh, the article is not like never once mentions, hey, um, we shouldn't put people in prison because it's, the prison industrial complex is fucked up. It's, yeah, it's, oh, look at all this money we're not saving, well, like we're saving and not spending on yeah. all of these still, you know, people well, that we should treat like second class citizens by still giving them misdemeanors. But, I, I, you know. I think I think it's also bullshit that the article has one sentence, even with state question 780 and subsequent le legislative changes, the number of prisoners entering corrections department custody each year is expected to rise when Oklahoma already tops the world at putting people in prison. And it's like, yeah, we're doing Literally this thing that's one. important. But I, I think, I don't know, to kind of round up our Oklahoma news for the week, I think what's really important about this is that... I'm sure there are some people listening to the show that are kind of anti-electoral stuff. And I, I, I'm fine being against voting for specific candidates, but you've got to fucking pay attention to these state questions. Because state question 420 and state question 780 and 781 have literally materially improved thousands of people's lives. There are people now who are not in prison simply because of that. Yeah, yeah exclusively because state question 780 and 781 passed. There are 9, 000, more than 9,000 people that aren't in prison. So you have to pay attention to that shit. And anybody who gives you that shit with it's like, no, it's just all bullshit. Voting's fucking bullshit. Voting can be bullshit a lot of the time, but you have to watch for that shit. Because you might be right. one of those 9,000 people. You yeah. never know. Um, but yeah. On that note, um, I want to go to Dog Whistle City uh, by the Oklahoman. Um, let's see if we can Saber spot the Dog Whistle. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Saber Rattling Town. Stop right after Saber Rattling Town. It is. It is. Oh, damn it. Yes, Adam wasn't yeah. on the show. He could have spent the whole time talking about how we should invade Russia to kill the communists. Like it's 1917 all over again. Oh, fuck. Right. Yes, all fuck. those communists in charge of current day Russia. I do trying not... to back on my bus route, you know, and where I'm trying to make my, my weekly stops. 
Um, but so we're, we're reading this article from the Oklahoma editorial board published on July 31st called demand continues for non-accredited teachers in Oklahoma classrooms. I picked this one cause it just hits a bunch of buttons for me. I'm trying really hard to find non Oklahoma editorial board articles cause we've been on a run. I mean, we're back on our bullshit. Yeah. They're back on their bullshit. Really? What, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Um, I mean, how are we going to ever let them go after they, like, specifically wrote that one article for us to read? Yeah, so yeah literally beating us with the anti <laughs> the rise of the, the left. They had, like, five about that, but they were all fucking syndicated articles from other people, so I just left it alone. Um, so, let's, let's start the art- article. Um, in demanding that lawmakers approve pay raises this spring for Oklahoma public school teachers, the head of the Oklahoma City chapter of the American Federation of Teachers noted that one-fourth of the district's teachers had left the previous year. And that's a result of low pay, Ed Allen said. They're either leaving the profession or leaving our state to get a better job. Again, yes. yeah. first yes. two paragraphs, great. A friend of mine just moved to Colorado and is starting as a high school biology teacher for, yeah, you know, for, for 60000 So, yeah, we old teachers nothing new. Text. Yeah, we... This, yeah. <laughs> The situation's not good, folks. Texas literally advertises that all all the surrounding states literally advertise in Oklahoma that you will get paid better if you move there. So, uh-uh. We, we, we might have discussed this on the show before. That Maybe. The teaching situation in our state isn't great. I can't remember. Uh, I Just to be I, safe, that's why I chose the article. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I, is, that, is that state question 420 uh, story? Yeah, <laughs> <in your> memory. <laughs> Continue. Uh, yeah, so. Yet, the latest figures from the State Department of Education regarding emergency certified teachers underscore the fact that better pay, while certainly important, is hardly the lone factor in keeping professional teachers in the classroom. So, the first thing I want to say before I keep reading is that maybe there was this problem where when they were hiring teachers, they didn't know if the pay raises would be a thing because motherfucking big dick Tom Coburn decided to get back into politics to try and stop the teacher pay raises. Maybe, maybe that affected the first year here. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But I want to keep reading. Just a note. Just a note of Bene, if you will. Um... The State Board of Education approved 853 emergency teaching certificates last, last week. That's the most in a single month and brings to uh, 1,238 the total thus far for the 2018-2019 uh, school year. Holy shit, that sentence is a new record for bad. Oh my god. It brings god. to 1,238 the total thus far. That hurt me to Holy listen to. Holy shit. A very, yeah, I'm trying to read it now. It hurts my brain. I'm right. like, I read this article... To pick it, obviously, and I just I don't I I don't know how I didn't see that. That is mind-bogglingly I mean, bad. When you're not Holy reading it out loud, you kind of gloss over it as if it were a normal sentence. Yeah, so it's the kind of quality you can get from the Oklahoma editorial board. That's fucking crazy! Oh my god. Um. Okay, let's keep reading. Last year, the board approved a record 1,975 emergency certificates. The certificates are granted to teachers who don't have a certified state teaching license. They're allowed to teach for two years. Oklahoma has seen a steady increase in the number of such certificates granted. In 2011-2012, only 32 were needed. In April, the legislature approved pay raises, averaging $6,100 per teacher. That left many education officials optimistic certified teachers, many of whom, in a comprehensive survey, cited lower pay as a significant factor in their leaving, would return to Oklahoma classrooms and thus reduce the need for emergency certifications. This hasn't happened. 
Here's, here's why they're going to say it hasn't happened, and then we can get into it. Um, our sense is that other factors noted in the survey, such as challenges with classroom management, continue to present considerable hurdles that better pay alone cannot overcome. So, all right. <laughs> well, first, I'm going to start here by saying uh, a $6,000 pay raise, certainly great that that happened, still doesn't make being a teacher in Oklahoma a, you know, a, a high-paying, fast-paced job. No. Like, Even a median-paying job yeah. where you still have to fund your own classrooms with that 6000 Holy ding, shit. Ding, ding, ding. What did the legislature not really fund that much outside of teacher pay raises? Yeah. Other things. You might make a little bit more money, but your job still sucks because there's no supplies. <laughs> there's no supplies. You have massive classrooms. There's no administrative support. Hmm. Maybe, maybe that matters, too. Maybe that. I don't know. Are those the reasons that they say? Do they bring that up in the article? No, of course not. Of course not. Um, but we also we're also getting a hint of the dog whistling um, with that nice phrase. What? Because what's the thing they highlighted as the problem teachers are talking about? Challenges I, with classroom management. Yeah, which yeah. can only be For translated students. to probably children of color. Yeah. yeah. Um, let, let's a little, a little. I'm getting a waft of, um, you know, these problematic uh, school districts. Let's 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 just see where that where that goes. Let let's keep that in mind and keep reading. Um, just last month, the Tulsa World reported on staff members' concerns that a lack of support from Tulsa Public Schools administration hurt their ability to teach students and retain talented teachers. Only one-third of teaching staff surveyed said they would recommend that a friend or family member work in the district. <laughs> I mean, no, no work here. <laughs> that's, that's probably some advice from a good friend. <laughs> yeah, that's genuinely just Not objectively good advice. To work for Tulsa Public. <laughs> but what, what, what district do they choose? A big city. Of course. Um... And also, are you going to find those hard to manage classrooms? Yeah, of course. Hard to manage people there. Also, (laughs) the first thing they list is staff members' concerns a lack of support from Tulsa Public Schools administration. Maybe the fact that we've been on this crusade for like multiple years to say the only people that should be involved in teaching our, our kids is our teachers. We should not fund anyone else. There should be literally no administration. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but let's let's keep seeing if if we can play the fun game. Spot the dog whistle. Um, <laughs> an official with TPS, which perhaps due to the pay raise has seen fewer te- teachers leave the district this year, downplayed some of the figures in the survey. But some of the frustrations it revealed in it are common, particularly in large urban districts. I found it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get, I know what like, urban I need, I need to get an easy button or like a bell. We need, we need to get some. We need to get. Where's the soundboard, Adam? I I wonder if the problem isn't that these large urban districts um, are, you know, specifically having problems. I wonder if the problem is that there's a huge amount of white flight to these suburban schools where all the wealthy people take their money and then vote to slash the urban school district budgets. No. Um, nonsense. Uh, the problem is the uh, black babies, clearly. Black and Hispanic well, babies. Let's does he give any examples? Uh... <laughs> No, sadly no. <laughs> but I mean, all I'm thinking of this is like directly targeted at somebody in like fucking in Edmond. Let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be brutally honest. It's targeted at somebody who owns a home in Edmond and owns no, a home in Edmond. Someone's reading this and says, "Well, my kid is good." 
Yeah. My school is good. Where's the problem? It's oh, it's those inner city kids that are. Please, the please continue. I'm reading the. I'm reading it without you reading out loud. And God, I just need <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I need it to come fresh. I need to stop. <laughs> yeah. In Oklahoma City, for example, district teachers have noted that changes in discipline policy have made it far more difficult to maintain control of their classrooms. Hmm. Wait. Hmm. Changes in discipline policy. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe part of the problem is massive classroom sizes. Uh, maybe maybe no, that. Is, you don't have dunce caps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is you can't publicly shame children <laughs> or beat them with rulers. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like children are the most scummy people on the planet and spend all of their time <laughs> on their phones just publicly shaming each other twenty four seven. No, that's not a thing. Um. Let's keep going. <laughs> in an anonymous survey last fall conducted by the AFT, between 75 and 80% of those teachers who responded said they had students who either didn't comply with classroom rules or refused to complete work. Roughly 70% said they endured quote-unquote disruptive out outbursts that hinder learning. And which is, again, what about big class sizes? What about poverty outside of the class? Maybe that's yeah, related. Hmm. You know, I think that... Just kind of mathematically thinking here, I think if you reduced a classroom size from 40 kids to 20 kids, you probably have half as many outbursts. Mm, no. You know? I'm just running the numbers in my head there. I don't know. If you just change it back to, like, medieval schooling, where you're able to, like, hang them by chains, you know, from the walls as a public, <laughs> as a public measure of shame, I think of bringing that back in, because they were talking about changes in discipline policy. Herbert, so the Spanish Inquisition you. was not school. <laughs> I mean, school happened during that time. Those were just dungeons from Monty Python episodes. That's not what school was like back then. School is when well, you go. We, need to change. we clearly need a change in discipline policy. School is okay, when, yeah, when there's a famine and then and then everybody I'm dies. For, I'm running for the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, that, let's let's wrap it up. Um, one teacher with nearly 40 years' experience in the district replied that the 2017-2018 school year was the most trying. Every day I'm still working on discipline, the teacher wrote. These students are the most defiant, disrespectful, and disruptive ones I have ever had. How much would someone need to earn to make, to make those daily challenges worthwhile? Now, here's what uh, you do the More really... than $30,000 yeah. a year. <laughs> like $36,100. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, let's say, hundred k. That's Let's just say there. Anyone in Oklahoma would do basically any job for 100 k Let's be entirely honest. It would yeah. be fine. Um, but that's also, this, this is the sneaky dog whistle they do, right? And it's, uh, it's a thing that now it's the worst year ever. Um, and the implication to me here that the Oklahoman is trying to get across is the city is becoming more people of color filled, right? That's why it's bad. Not that funding has essentially remained stagnant, literally has remained stagnant for 28 years until the, the teacher pay raise and classroom sizes have been exploding at the same time. Yeah, you know, I wonder if the 2017 school year was the most trying because there is a massive labor crisis and funding shortage in the school districts with increasing class sizes, not students are becoming more disrespectful. Yeah, m maybe. But students keep saying my shoes look like a fam. Shitters. <laughs> <laughs> They're still probably shitters. But yes. I don't think, I think that that's definitely, I mean, that's just know, true, even, though. Yeah, children Kids... are monsters everywhere, and that's why teachers should be paid exorbitant sums of money to wrangle and educate them. Yeah, and it's just like, it also, also, you know, maybe the problem has nothing to do with the children. But 
to, to do the kicker, here's, what, here's how they end it. The raises provided to Oklahoma's teachers were certainly long overdue, but myriad concerns unrelated to salary must, must be addressed to reduce the continuing need for non-professional teachers in the classroom. And it's like, oh, what, you, what they really mean is black people shouldn't go to school. They really yeah, mean, well, what if we had plantations? Hmm. That's the real, like, wink and nod here, is that they're like, all right, we still have all of these problems. And if they were actually concerned with the issues, they'd say, so maybe we should think about uh, how to better fund the schools so that we don't have as many behavior problems or, like, how to, you know, reduce classroom size, get more supplies. But instead, they're just like, there are all these rambunctious urban students. What are we going to do, folks? Mm, and yeah, I mean, it's clearly like a very subtle, or obviously not so subtle, yeah, not uh, so subtle. <laughs> dog whistle to be like, time to do something about these rambunctious urban students. About these it's, you know what would colors. save a whole lot of money? Closing down the inner city schools. <laughs> no, this is, this is take the all editorial. those certified teachers and move them somewhere else. Next this week we're going to get the separate but locking equal your show. car doors when you see a brown person selling fruit on the side of the highway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, guys. Um, that, that's, the, that's the triple parentheses urban uh, conservative reading list for the week. <laughs> Oklahoma editorial board does it again. Just, just hit after hit. <laughs> I don't know. We gotta like come up whenever we hit the fifty second episode. We gotta do a remix of the best, <laughs> like the best ones. Come up with a list. Um, we'll make Adam uh, do that. He doesn't have a lot to do, right? Oklahoma <laughs> editorial for a year in review. <laughs> <laughs> oh please. Okay, that's a thing now. That is gonna be a thing now. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, to, to wrap up the show, we, we have some things to tell you about. On Thursday, August 9th, the Solidarity Through Food Kitchen will be preparing, having its community meal from 1 to 4 p.m. Um, you can contact us or them through their Facebook page to find out where it will be this week, and you can donate them to a link all included in the Reddit post. Yes, I'll put all the Reddit posts up. Shut up. I'm on vacation. Um, on Friday, August 10th, the new Sanctuary Network of Tulsa will have its weekly protest from 12 to 12.20 in front of David L. Moss. Again, go do that. That's like probably one of the most important things you could do right now. It's a huge deal. Um, the last thing is that the uh, autonomous uh, Brown Berets de la Rosa, Oklahoma, are uh, looking, have just come out with a new pamphlet about the stuff they do. Um, and we'll put up a link to that as well. So that you can see what's up with them, and you know, if you're into the brown berets, if you're, if that's kind of your thing, uh, we want to provide you some information on that. Um, so that's that's all the stuff we got going on this week in terms of socialist events. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Star Over OK. You can come check out uh, stuff on the subreddit at r Red Star Over Oklahoma. You can follow us on SoundCloud Red Star Over Oklahoma. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, same name. I'm going to say it again just because why not? It's Red Star over Oklahoma. Uh, please review us. We only we, we don't have enough yet. we got to go up in the charts. Football season's getting close. If we go up in the charts enough, some fucking idiot shut is going to look up Oklahoma, see us, think it's about football, listen to it, and either they will become a socialist or their brain will boil and they will die. So that would be really cool either way. Uh, so go rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and tell your friends about us, okay? If you're at the bar, this is a great thing to do. If you're at a party or your friend gives you the ox cable, just put it on the show. I dare you. It's a good idea. <laughs> Especially with the sound quality. <laughs> <laughs>
It's a uh, great way to make friends is start talking about your leftist podcasts. It is a good way to make friends. That how do you think I have all my friends? Um <laughs> Twitter followers aren't friends, Carl. <laughs> no, I don't have that many Twitter followers. <laughs> uh but that that's it we that's it for this week, guys. So uh see y'all next week. Bye.